this time we'd like to dismiss our children for um, children's worship this morning. Everybody up through the fourth grade. you would, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we'll be um, beginning this morning. Genesis 1. My name is Jared Manning. If you're visiting with us, I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Grace Bible Church. We are glad that you're here and I get the privilege of opening up God's Word and teaching on occasion. And so this morning, um, I will we'll be teaching. Um, we are excited to have a newlywed couple with us this morning. Haley and Anton are here this morning. Yes. We are happy for them. They got married. What, what, what was that? Two weeks ago now. Wow, time went by fast. Um, so two weeks ago, and uh, they're here with us this morning. So if you get a chance to see them, um, after the service is over this morning and congratulate them, hug them. I'm sure they would be glad to see all of you. Um, this morning, as you know, if you've been here for a while, I started a, uh, a sermon series called The Cross and Culture. Um, last month, we uh, looked at homosexuality and the gospel and what the Bible has to say about that. This um, morning, we will be uh, attacking another issue that our culture faces and that we are going to have to deal with and that we need to speak to and that we need to be able to speak to biblically and through a gospel lens. And that issue this morning is racism and the gospel. Um, this is not an easy topic to teach on. It's not an easy topic to talk about for many reasons. Um, but God didn't call us to do what was easy in the church. We are called to do hard things, speaking into a sinful culture, words of truth and life. And therefore, if we are going to address these issues that our culture wrestles with, um, we need to know what the Bible has to say about it. We need to know how to address it through a gospel um, lens and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we approach um, this subject this morning, I want to make a couple of disclaimers. Um, first of all, this is not an easy subject to speak about. There's often the fear um, that you'll insult or offend someone when you begin talking about racism and race. Um, but sin has infected our world in such a way that these conversations are necessary. And if we don't speak to these issues through the gospel lens, we allow the world, again, to define the conversation. And so we must take up these kinds of conversations. Secondly, I am not perfect. Um, I may say something that could be misconstrued or misquoted. Um, please know that I approach this subject with great humility and love, and uh, I'm not seeking to offend or insult anyone. Um, I speak not on my own authority, but on the, the authority of Scripture and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, while racism in America has largely been understood as this hatred of um, the African-American race by whites, um, we need to understand that racism doesn't only exist in an American context. 
Racism is a global problem that goes back thousands of years. So for many of you um, who grew up here in America, you think strictly in terms of Jim Crow South, segregation, slavery, all these different things, but racism is not a problem that exists just here in the United States. It's a global problem that's been around for thousands of years and has always needed to be addressed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we seek to do this morning. With those things said, let's pray and go to the Lord and ask him to be with us in this time. God, we come before you this morning. Hopefully repentant of our own sins. Hopefully we come, God, with humility before your throne, understanding that because sin has infected our world, some of the claims that are made of us are true. We need to confess and repent of our own racist attitudes or thoughts or actions. God, as we approach this subject, I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that speaks with love and compassion and care. God, that we wouldn't take talking points from our culture, but that we would take them from the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that as I begin to speak, God, that you would move me out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So, racism is a word that gets thrown around quite frequently these days. Turn on the TV, you've heard it, right? Somebody is being accused of racism. Somebody is trying to defend the fact that they're not a racist. It's thrown around quite often. If you grew up in the Jim Crow South you might think that racism is over. Schools are desegregated. There are no separate drinking fountains for blacks and whites. There are no separate hotels anymore. People are treated equally in the marketplace. We have laws that protect against people being discriminated just for, against for the color of their skin. You may think racism in America is dead. But if you follow the news or pay any attention to politics, you know that racism is not dead. It is, in fact, alive and well. If you're a sports fan, you're aware of the most recent controversy with the owner of the L.A. Clippers, Donald Sterling. If you're not familiar with this story a few weeks ago, a recording of Mr. Sterling on the phone with his mistress was released to the public. That's a whole nother issue that he has a mistress. That's the one the culture doesn't care to talk about. Um, this, this recording was made by the mistress in order to trap him. It doesn't matter the, the reason for the recording. Mr. Sterling in this recording made some remarks about African-Americans that were extremely vile and condescending and were um, put down. There was an outcry against his comments from all over 
um, the media, the political spectrum, people from all walks of life because they were racist remarks and they needed to be put down. But there was an immediate media firestorm over these comments. And for weeks, if you turned on ESPN, that's what they were talking about. If you turned on cable news, this issue was being discussed. If you listened to talk radio, they were talking about this issue. These shows talked for weeks about race relations in America. Are we a colorblind nation? Is racism still a problem? All these questions were being asked. Understanding racism in today's culture is difficult because the word itself has been used as a political grenade to throw at someone who disagrees with you. The charge has been so overused, it's often not taken seriously when racist acts or attitudes actually do occur. As the church, we must know how to talk about this issue. We need to know how to think about this issue. And we need to confess and repent of our own sins of racism where they exist. Beginning to talk about race and racism, we must first begin where Humanity begins. For that we turn to Genesis 1 verse 26. Genesis 1 beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So we begin our discussion on race and racism by talking about where humanity came from. Where did we come from? Well, the culture has its own answer for this. And that is that we came from an evolutionary process that began with a big bang billions of years ago. There's matter floating around that collided. And then through a long process, humans came to be. We evolved from animals that had evolved from soup. I often sit and stare at my Campbells, wondering what it was like in those days. Um, man is no more than an evolved animal. Through natural selection and survival of the fittest, we made it to the top of the food chain. Darwinism is based on this assumption. This is where culture says we come from. But scripture has a very different story. 
Man is created in the very image of God. Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does this mean to be made in the image of God? There are a lot of different theologians and scholars who have very different opinions and things on what this actually fully means. We probably are not ever going to understand what that fully means until the final day when Christ returns and our minds are made new. But here are three things that most people have a consensus on. To be made in the image of God means that we are personal. We have a personality and the ability to think and reason just as God does. We are spiritual. That we have a soul that is not temporal. We were born. God created us. He gave us a soul. And that soul will live on now for eternity. We are not just Mere mortal beings. We are spiritual. We are also communal. We long for fellowship and community. Just as God in the Trinity exists in community and fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is created in God's image. We are not animals. We did not evolve We did not survive to make it to the top of the food chain. God created us in his image. Secondly, we read here in this Genesis passage that man is exalted over creation. The second half of verse 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over livestock and over all um, the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we have dominion over creation. The earth. Now this is not because we were somehow special in and of ourselves. It was because we bore the image of God that he gave us dominion over the earth. He says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Because we are his image. God wanted his image to fill the earth. To bring him glory. How we answer the uh, question of human origins has a profound effect on how we view humanity and how we treat others. There's an irony here. Because many people in our culture who seem to be most outraged by racism are those who hold to a worldview that actually allows for racism. If it is survival of the fittest, if it is natural selection, then... We have every reason to be racist. If I got to where I am because I did it, I worked and I got there, then that's your problem if you didn't make it to the same place that I've made it. I evolved. But there is no such allowance in the biblical view of creation. The biblical account, we see that man was created by God in the image of God and is worthy of dignity and honor on that basis alone. We don't get to decide who is worthy of dignity and honor. God has decided for us that he created man in his image. Moreover, the biblical account makes it clear that we are one race. We are of one species. Adam in Hebrew actually stands for humankind. And Adam calls his wife the mother of all living. 
There is one race. It is the human race. So the question then comes, does race even exist? If we have one race, the human race, one man and one woman from whom the whole world comes, then does race even exist? The B.T. Anyabwile, the pastor of First Baptist in Grand Cayman and an author, has made it his goal to eradicate the word race from the church. He makes the case that the Bible never uses the language of race. He argues we would be better off to refer to our differences in terms of ethnicities. This is language that the Bible actually uses. He says that because of our origin, all created in the image of God, with Adam as our representative, we are one mankind with varying tongues, nations, tribes, families, and skin color. But there is little to nothing genetically or biologically that makes us different in race or species. If this is the case then how did we get to this point? How did this ethnic division come about? Where did racism come from? If this is true, if we all came from Adam and Eve, humanity was narrowed down again at the flood with Noah and his family, we're all descendants of Noah's family, then how did we get here? How did we get to slavery in the United States of America? How did we get to this Jim Crow segregation in the South that determined we were separate but equal? Forcing people to go to different water fountains doesn't seem very equal to me. Making people stay in separate hotels doesn't seem very equal to me. This separate but equal. Where does this stuff come from? The Bible has... An answer. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You know, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Eve in a prideful state, desiring to be like God, desiring to be wise, took the fruit and she ate. Then verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And so it begins. Unity is broken. And now it becomes a game of exalting myself over those around me. God, it's not my fault. That woman that you gave me, she ate it. 
She took it, and then she gave it to me. Not only was Adam indicting the woman, he was indicting God. That woman that you gave to me. She made me sin. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Not me. It's him. And so we begin the sin of pride and self-exaltation over those around us and even over God. Racism at its heart is pride and self-exaltation over those around us. Because of the fall, we now have racism. Because we are sinful and we seek our own glory, we at our hearts are racists. Then we make our way to Genesis 11. Genesis chapter 11. If you're familiar with your Bible stories, you know this one. You may even know where we're going. We're still trying to answer the question of how did we get here? If we were one people, one race, how did we get to this point? We see part of the answer here at the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold... They are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, um, down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off the building or left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Ethnicities, different languages, different people groups come from Babel. And what caused God to confuse their language, to scatter them all over the earth. It was pride. It was self-exaltation. It was seeking their own glory above that of God. Now, understand that when God changes their language, confuses them, sends them all over the earth, this is not a punishment. We often understand this as some kind of punishment, as some kind of curse for what they had done. Rather, this was about God's glory. And he said, if these people all have one language, there's no telling what they're going to do for their own glory and their own self-exaltation. But they need to be focused on me and my glory and worshiping me. And so this isn't necessarily a direct punishment for sin, but it's rather a vehicle through which God is going to get glory. 
that he is going to be exalted. So we have these two things. The fall of man originally with sin coming into the world. Then we have the tower of Babel where man's language is confused and he is scattered all over the earth. And from that begin to come different ethnicities, cultures, languages. But where did this hatred of one another come from? If not just from the fall. If not just from Babel. Where did we get this hatred? Especially in the United States. It's probably the misinterpretation of the so-called curse of Ham. You may have heard this if you grew up um, in the 60s. This curse of Ham was preached in churches throughout the South. It was used as the reasoning for segregation. They believed that the son of Noah, Ham, who had seen his father naked and went and told his brothers after that, his father gives him this curse and says, all the sons of Ham will serve, or actually the sons of Canaan, will serve their brothers. And people have equated that Ham, from him come the Cushites, which makes up most of Africa. And so then Africans should serve everyone else because of this misinterpretation of the curse of Ham. What they seem to miss in Genesis 9 is that God actually curses the descendants of Canaan specifically. And most of Canaan's descendants actually settled in Europe and are mostly white. So they kind of mess up the text and twist it to say what they want it to say. J. Daniel Hayes wrote a book called From Every People and Nation. In it, he describes this misinterpretation of Genesis 9 as one of the most damaging misinterpretations of Scripture on the subject of race. It was used by segregationists and slave owners in the South to justify slavery, and it is wrong. We cannot misinterpret God's word. And then use it to treat other people created in his image as less human. So from the sin of pride, babble, and misinterpretations of scripture, we have these three things working together that has caused so much strife in the world today. When humanity fell in Genesis 3, the image of God and man was effaced we died spiritually, our intellect was tainted, and our relationships were broken. The fall affects every aspect of our lives. When we fell, the image of God was effaced. Now, it wasn't completely ruined or completely destroyed. We still have a soul. We still have an intellect. We still have a will. We still have a desire for relationship like God. But all of those things have been broken. We are now spiritually dead. Our intellects are fallen. If you were like me, you understood that in Algebra 2 in high school. My intellect is fallen. <laughs> I blamed it on Adam and Eve. <laughs> 
But our relationships are broken. This affects how we view one another. This affects how we view people of different skin colors. So what, what should we do about it? We know that we are all made in the image of God. We've seen that from Scripture. We know that the result of the racism and the hatred and the strife and the broken relationships is a result of the fall and our own sin. But what should we do? What can I do about that? Jared, I mean, racism just exists. It's going to exist. It's existed for thousands of years. It's going to exist to the end of time. Like, Jesus will make it all better on the last day. We don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. What can we do about it now? Well, let's talk about that. What can we do about it now? First of all, we can confess and we can repent. We are all guilty of racism. Whether through jokes through thoughts, attitudes, or actions, we have all been guilty at some point of some form of racism. When we see this in ourselves, we must resist the desire to justify it or make excuses for it. I've heard this one. Somebody will make a joke about an African-American brother or sister and then they'll say, oh, I'm friends with them. We're like that. I don't even see color. Well, then why would you make the joke? Because we're all racists at heart. We are self-exalting, prideful human beings who place ourselves above others. So when those things happen, and they will, we don't justify, we don't make excuses. We confess and we repent. And it may mean going to someone and saying, I'm sorry. Secondly, we treat people equally. We treat people equally. We should set the example of treating people with honor and respect, no matter what their skin color or ethnic background, because we see all people as created in the image of God. We as believers should be on the forefront of calling out against racism. We should be leading the charge against racism. So this leads to the third thing. We should fight injustice where it is found. Our view that people are created in the image of God and are all equal in value and worthy of dignity and honor should lead us to fight injustice wherever it is found. This is what led William Wilberforce to fight against slavery in Great Britain. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was his understanding that these were men and women created in the image of God. They should not be treated that way. It is this view that led Abraham Lincoln to abolish slavery in the United States. We as the people of God have more of a reason to stand for injustice than anyone else because we serve the just God who has created human beings in his image. We have more of a cause than anyone else on the face of the earth to fight injustice where it is found. Because we believe there is a standard of justice and it is Almighty God. People who believe in the evolutionary theory and who pawn this idea that we came from some primordial ooze, they have no basis or foundation 
for calling out injustice? We do. We have the word of God and we have God himself. We must fight injustice where it is found. That means we must not be silent because to be silent is to give tacit approval. We speak up when those around us are being treated poorly or unjustly. Fourthly, we celebrate diversity. We celebrate diversity. In her book, United, captured by God's vision for diversity, Trillia Newbell writes this. As it relates to race, I often hear people say things like, I don't see color. We're all the same. Or why do we have to talk about race when, when, when we're all the same? Here's the thing, she says. You do see color. You do see color. We are different colors. The idea that we should fight for a colorblind nation is ridiculous. Because unless you actually are colorblind, you see color. God created us that way. We have different colors. We have different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. We have different languages. And God made us that way. He has made us different. And get this, in the last day, we will not all be changed to speak one language or all look the same. Rather, in Christ, we will be united from every nation, tribe, and tongue to glorify God for eternity. God's not going to change us all into a Caucasian race that speaks American English on the last day. God has made us all different. He has made us diverse. And we should celebrate diversity. Do you know why marriage is good for your sanctification and good for your life? Because there is someone who is very different than you, who you have covenanted with for the rest of your life. And guess what? There's going to be some button of the heads. You both come from different families. You have different backgrounds. You have different traditions. You have different views on life that may have come from your education or the way you were raised or whatever else it is. But you don't treat your spouse as subhuman because they're different. You, you don't expect your wife, men, to be like a man. So why should we expect people of different colors and different backgrounds to change and, and, and come into our culture and do things the way we do things? No, we should celebrate this diversity. And we should seek to reflect this diversity here and now in the church. We often speak of God uniting people from every tribe, language, nation, tongue. On the last day, but how often do we actually seek to make that reality in the here and the now? We should be seeking to see a diverse population within our body. We can learn from people who have a different skin color than us. We can learn from people who have different cultures than us, who have different languages than us. We can teach one another. We can grow together in the grace that God gives. We should celebrate and seek diversity here and now in the church.
And lastly, we should share the gospel. Lastly, and most importantly, we must be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must view others as God views them. There is one way in which God identifies us, and probably the most important, that we are either in Christ or we are not. That is how God sees you. That is how God sees me. You are either in Christ or you are not. C.S. Lewis writes this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. They are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit... Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is in fact the merriest kind. Which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. What C.S. Lewis is saying is... We are immortal. All these things around us, art, civilization, culture, it will all disappear. But we will live on through eternity, either in heaven or in hell. And we should not approach our relationships with people flippantly, but we should see them as Christ sees them, either in Christ or not. And we should always be seeking their salvation. And that they too would be in Christ. We must be committed to seeing people saved from the horrors of hell into the glory of heaven. When this is true of us, when this is our desire, when this is what drives our everyday life and our relationships with one another, we won't worry about our differences. We won't see those of a different color, color or different language or background as, different, as, as unequal to me, but we will see them as God sees them, a sinner who needs to be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. The answer to racism is not the word police or affirmative action. The answer is not found in more education or in social justice. Racial reconciliation will not come through laws or government mandates, nor will it come through government officials or elected officers. The answer to racism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation only occurs at the foot of the cross of Jesus it is only there that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are adopted into one family, united by one spirit, and join in the fellowship of one body through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which we now have flowing through our veins. The fix for racism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer this morning as we've looked at this issue that hopefully you have 
seen something from a different perspective. Maybe your eyes have been opened to the fact that you have sinned against someone in some way, whether it be through jokes or um, thoughts or attitudes or actions. And maybe there's someone that you need to go to and confess and repent and ask their forgiveness. Maybe there are people around you who come from different cultures or backgrounds and you've not been pursuing them for the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're different from you. Well, I, I just can't... I can't build a relationship with them. We're, we're, we're too different. I pray that you would see them as God sees them, as a sinner who needs to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would pursue a relationship with them that is based on Jesus and his love for them. Maybe you've not been one who struggled with racism. That's just not been an issue for you, but maybe you've been the one who said, well, I'm colorblind. I don't, we don't see color. I'm educated. I went to a university with lots of colors and cultures and backgrounds. Are you celebrating those differences in the church? Or do we enjoy our predominantly white middle class congregation with people who drive the same cars, live in the same kind of houses, speak the same language? I can be comfortable around these people because we're all the same. Well, the, the gospel never calls us to comfort. Christ calls us to suffer. If you're comfortable here, then maybe there's a problem. Maybe we should make ourselves a little uncomfortable to see the last day brought to the here and now as we look around at a congregation of people from every walk of life, from multiple cultures and backgrounds. To see people of varying colors throughout this place, worshiping God together in one voice by the power of one spirit. Because if we can't be comfortable with that now, eternity is not going to be a pleasant experience. Christ has united us by his blood into one family. I pray that we would learn to celebrate the diversity that God has put on this earth. And that he would receive all glory and honor because of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you created man in your image, after your likeness. God, that we all descend from one family and Adam. God, we thank you for the differences that exist, the diversity that is all around us. God, I pray that we would be a people who would celebrate that diversity. That we would long to see people from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered here on a Sunday morning to worship the God whom we love and serve. And who has united us by the death, burial, and resurrection of his son.
pray that now as we sing songs to you, that we would humble ourselves before the cross of Jesus Christ. That we would exalt his name. God, may you be praised this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.